1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome
0: to Transforming Trauma. I'm Eve. In my day job as a clinical social worker, it's all about problem solving and supporting people through major life transitions. I am driven by my belief in the healing power of our relationships with each other and with caring professionals. On this show, you'll hear from many colleagues and courageous trauma survivors who have chosen to share their stories of recovery. They believe, just as I do, that it's time for a new narrative about sexual violence that does not require survivors to perform victimhood. Our hope is that, Sharing their stories will be helpful to you, the listener. We've often changed their names and taken steps to make sure they feel protected. I'm humbled by the opportunity to host them and hope you'll hear yourself in these conversations and realize you're not as alone in the struggle. Maybe it'll inspire you to connect with someone you love about your own recovery. Transforming Trauma is presented in partnership with Rachel Grant Coaching, and more resources can be found at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now on to the show. have you all here with me and my guest Krista who will be sharing with us about how the pain from losing her six-year-old daughter to brain cancer in May of last year gave her perspective on what is important and how she will live her life. A life of power and purpose one lived with intention and attention to the things and the people that are important to her. Um, This episode means a lot to me. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I'm coming up with a milestone birthday and Krista is someone who I've been following since 2013 when I had the good fortune of discovering her her tough girl strong fitness business, which she'll tell you or I'll tell you a bit about. And I've literally been sharing her newsletters ever since, um quoting quoting her and and watching her her business and her leadership thrive. It's it's really been an amazing thing. I I now live in a different state and um, I feel very connected to to a lot of her values and just so honored that she's given some of her time to, to share some of her wisdom and, and power with me today and with all of our listeners. So a little bit more about Krista and what we'll be talking about in terms of what it means to be brave, asking and receiving support when you feel like isolating and disappearing, um, what her experience has been sharing her process publicly. Um, Krista is the owner and founder of Tough Girl Fitness, In 2017, nine years into Tough Girl's wild word-of-mouth success, Krista and Mike's six-year-old daughter Leah was suddenly diagnosed with DIPG, a fatal and incurable brain tumor. Leah died nine months later, leaving the Doran family devastated. But Leah's bravery is their guide with a new story of strength to tell. Now, in addition to inspiring hundreds of women to feel stronger in their bodies and minds, Krista is teaching the lessons Leah taught her, that bravery is being present, that power comes not from avoiding pain, but from naming it and living unapologetically as you are. Krista lives in Hampton with Mike and their daughters, Livia 10 and Kira 5. Leah would be seven now. You can read about the love and loss she experienced at LessonsFromLeah.com. I'll include that in the show notes as well. Um, So without further ado, Krista, thank you so much for For joining us how are you doing right now for having me Um, yeah today is is okay and I appreciate how you asked that
2: question because people generally just blanket every day together with a general how are you so how are you doing today gives people the ability to be different day to day and the honor that people are different day to day so I appreciate how you ask that question May is a hard month for us uh, it's the month that she died, and it's also Mother's Day, and it's also her birthday. She she will would have turned eight this Saturday,
0: mm-hmm. so
2: it's this collision of horrible, beautiful, brutal, painful events, um, so it's been a hard month, but we went away for a few days, so today, I feel like I'm able to formulate thoughts, and there's some light today, so... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you for just kind of diving right in and just beginning with, with the realness of this moment. And yeah, it's interesting just to like be really relational in this conversation. My experience hearing you say that was to immediately already get nervous, you know, that I'm saying the wrong thing. And I think that that's a real big issue around talking about grief is people's fear of asking the question, the simple questions, you know, how are you today? Um, fear of saying the wrong thing, actually saying the wrong thing, and then like making it worse, you know I think that 's something I want to highlight that your writing and, and messaging has has been really unique to me and how you kind of talk about the power of support systems and the strength that you 've found and then the realness of how people mess up and and it's and it sucks and it 's really crummy when when people say things and make it worse and when you 're trying to go to work and um, a lot of our, our listeners deal with pieces of this um, grief in their lives from trauma with their families. And um, I think that just a lot of people will connect to what you just said, even, even on the baseline of how are you today? Um, so yeah, in terms of like a, a little lightning round question, I'd like to begin with is what's a, a common myth about grief that you'd like to dispel?
2: Um, that you get over it. That um I feel like there's this there's this like um almost assumption that I'll be better a year later, right that it will it will be a year time heals all things, all these quotes that people like to um you know spurt off that that will get over it, and you don't I don't think that a loss like this is something you get over right you. Your life moves on, and you carry on in a different way, but you you move through it, and it changes you, but you don't get over it. Um, it's not like I lost my cat, you know, it, it, it was my child, and so I think the assumption that people um, think that I'm, I'm going to be better, um, and I thought I was going to be better, too, to be honest with you, and so it's almost, it's a little discouraging to a year later still have... intensity of the pain still be as bad as it was a year ago um even maybe worse because there's that numb period after you lose somebody where you don't feel a whole lot you're sort of in shock which is i think the body's way of coping with something of that magnitude um so yeah i think that the just the assumption that grief um that you get over it and it, it's not a problem to be fixed you can't fix it you can't make it better um, it's not a problem so you can't fix it it is a, a process that evolves and changes and shifts and you evolve and change and shift with it
0: yeah absolutely and i'm thinking of as we have this conversation sort of like the experiences we have in our lives and how obviously they shape who we are, that, that goes without saying. But when someone has been through trauma in their childhood or, you know, we're living in the times of Me Too and Time's Up that all of us experience loss and and what you're describing, these experiences that will will never be the same again. And to your point, our experiences are not all the same, you right. know, but the like compounding of, I'm not going to, put words in, in your mouth, but, but for me, the compounding experiences of, of trauma, you know, they, they really shape how we respond to it and how we grieve and process. So a lot of our listeners might not have access to therapy, you know, might not have family or spirit, like spiritual practice or, you know, a lot of things that seem like they've been of support to you. So I'm curious, kind of building on that, what what 's like a source of inspiration for you today let 's start with kind of right now what what 's giving you strength today
2: um, well, definitely, my family, um, my two kids, you know my two daughters that are still here uh, live in in Kira they bring so much joy to my life, and so they are definitely a source of um, inspiration to me, my husband and I have a great uh, support system with my friends and also my work. You know, my work is, work is such a big part of your life that I couldn't imagine going back to a job that I didn't love, that didn't give me purpose um, and that I wasn't passionate about. So I'm very grateful to have this beautiful uh, triad of not only a great support system with people, I have a very strong faith um, and I have this great job that i love that gives me such great purpose so those things are definitely inspiring me Um, but if i'm being honest there's days when none of that matters like there's days when it definitely gets me through but there's days when the darkness just is so encompassing that none of that matters and you know i was telling somebody that i understood suicide for the first time after leah died because there was several weeks where i didn't want to be here anymore Now, I wouldn't say I was suicidal. This is not a cry for help. Um, But I could understand why people would want that pain to end. Like if they didn't see an end, or there was never any reprieve from that level of despair, why they wouldn't want to be here anymore. And there are still those days where everything's dark and nothing, nothing inspires me. I'm just uninspired. But I also know on those days that I can sit in that space and get to the next day. And... Try again the next day, that I can survive that sometimes it feels like smothering pain and show up to try again the next day.
0: That's so powerful. Thank you for saying all of that. I unfortunately have known a couple of people who have died um, by suicide in the past couple of years. And I'm, um, as my own birthday approaches, kind of thinking about, wow, like just a couple of years ago. I went through this world not knowing people who who had done that, and um, I think it's very common to have those thoughts. And I I work really hard in my in my job and in my life to normalize those those thoughts. I think there's tremendous stigma, like you know even what it, what if people are asking for help or crying for help. You know we we all communicate that in different ways, and I really want to to like that that not to be something that on top of our pain that we have shame about our pain you know right like asking for help is is strong and I I know that you you believe that and and want people to be real about how how they're hurting I think I'd love for you to share a little bit about like why you decided to write your blog I mean a lot of people I know and survivors given the publicity and the news especially feel really emboldened to share their stories and if you, if you can, I have so many questions bubbling up in response to what you just said, so I don't mean to kind of jump, jump ahead, but- no, what's jump around. What's been kind of a, like the benefits and also the cost of being so public with your story? Because it's something I try to caution people about to like slow down, because I have had my own trials and tribulations with being, being out there and like kind of the vulnerability and then how our process shifts over time. And how you can always share more, but you can't kind of share less in the public sphere. Right. And I think that there's this line between being vulnerable
2: and oversharing. Right? Like um, I started the blog to be honest, because um because of my role in the, the work I do, I have, I have access to hundreds of people a day that really love and care about me. And so I would see sometimes 200 people in the course of five hours, and they would all want to know how I was, how Leah was, what was going on, what was a prognosis. And I didn't want to answer any of those questions in the space of Tough Girl, because I, I couldn't do my job effectively as their coach, because I was being pulled out of my role as the empowering leader and pulled into this dark place. So I I set a boundary with them and I asked uh, I said you can say hello you can say how I, you can say it's nice to see you I love you give me a hug but you cannot ask how I am and you cannot ask how Leo is if you want to know how we're doing read my blog which I updated very regularly and this was my way of very honestly communicating what was happening with our family how she was doing and what we needed because so many people wanted to help. Well, what happened was after I published the first few, people were, were so grateful for the information I was sharing and the way I was sharing it, that they, even though their, their situation wasn't similar, they just, you know, me too is powerful. And so if you're sharing your pain and somebody else is in pain and you're normalizing it, they are grateful for that. So I just was like, all right, I'm gonna share more. I'm gonna be very honest um, and to the point where some people couldn't read it. And I was, a couple of people said, like, I can't read your blog. And okay, don't read it. <laughs> um, that's fine. But uh, yeah, it was this, re- and, and, and I, what I realized is every time I hit publish, it was like a weight was lifted off me. It was like I could breathe again, it was out there, and um, I just felt better. Now, there's definitely parts that, you know, I think if if it came down to hurting somebody because of something I shared, I didn't do that. My intention, I shared a lot about myself, but not a lot about my husband or my kids or my parents because I didn't think that was fair and that's not my story to tell. And there are some personal, you know, very personal things that I didn't put out there but um, I, was very vul- I was very vulnerable and honest about how I was feeling and how I was processing all of it and what was helpful and not helpful, mm-hmm. um, which then helped other people, which is why I kept doing it even after she died. I kept writing because it was helping others. And I feel like that gives me purpose and turns my pain into some sort of purpose knowing that it's helping other people to write and connect with them on that level because life's hard, right? And everyone has their own level of pain and nobody wants to talk about it. Because we live in an Instagram era where you're seeing a highlight reel that's filtered and cropped and face tuned and it's not real. And, you know, I have friends all the time who they're miserable in their lives, but you would never know it if you look at their Instagram and so you're seeing all these people happy that really aren't because they all everyone has their own stuff on some level, and so you just feel really bad about yourself, right when like everyone else is living this great life, like living their best life, and you are in the dark and so I loved sharing like real raw posts because every time I would get messages about like thank you for sharing that me too, I feel this way too, and I'm in the dark, and you're helping me um, and so it's just been a real source of inspiration for me. And I would love to write a book someday, a memoir about Leah and about what she taught me and sort of all this stuff wrapped into one um, because it, may, it helps me, but it also helps others. And it normalizes, like you were saying, grief and pain and trauma. And um, it helps people, it gives them permission to show up authentically and not put a filter on it.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting what you're you're saying about really setting boundaries and first getting clear on the impact that people's responses were having on you. Like I heard so much there, like discerning how you were feeling and then getting clear on what's helpful and what's not, and then putting it out there so people know that is something that so many of us really struggle with, regardless of having a trauma history or not, or who you are in the world. Just if you don't know what you need. It's really hard for other people to know. Um, and people sadly, or just, it is what it is. People are going through the world with their own problems on their mind. Oh, I need to get to the gym. Oh, I need to get to work. Oh, I need to get my coffee. You know, people are not always thinking of our internal experience. So I think it's, it's really transformative to be able to set boundaries. And that's something that I think is not a lesson that we're taught growing up. Most of us, are especially women, are, are taught to try to please people or be nice or be appropriate. Um, I've been having a lot of thoughts this week about in what ways shame has kept me quiet and small. And I, I know that you work hard to get the message out that you want young women and all women and all people to, to have, a, have a voice. So thank you for You know, finding your your own and amplifying it, and making a a deliberate choice, and and sharing that it's not just for other people, that is for yourself. Gosh, there's so much like, I need to do this for other people. Like, I can't possibly be doing this for myself. Um, So I, I really relate. Without writing, I can't imagine having been able to heal. Period. You know, writing is a way to communicate with other people things we can't say sometimes.
2: Yeah. And you have time to think about it and process it and really go deep into yourself and reflect. It was also my time for reflecting to like check in. Um, and I think that is a powerful tool for anybody who's processing stuff is to really check in because most of us, most of the world goes through mindlessly, right? We're not paying attention. We're rushing to the next thing on our list and just checking the boxes, but we're not there. And that's part of the problem right that's part of one of the big problems why everyone's so miserable because we're not actually in the moment and so writing certainly helps that like if you're looking for a way to process what's happening write about it check in with yourself like your darkest things in there put them out you don't have to share them but just getting them out there is so helpful um and for me it was helpful to publish them because a it was helping others and b because others then knew how i was doing So if I seemed off in the gym or if my eyes were bloodshot, nobody would say, you look tired. Well, yeah, I've been up crying all night because, you know, they gave Leah two weeks to live. They knew this. It was out there. And if they chose to read it, they had, you know, an idea of how I was doing. So that was helpful for me. It's not helpful for everyone to publish their stuff. You also have to be discerning about what you share and what you don't. Um, Vulnerability, like I said, is not just sharing everything. Um, But yeah, for...
0: it was certainly cathartic for me Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah there's tremendous value in being intentional about who you share the really intimate personal things with and i think that that's something that sometimes um survivors that i know have struggled with this tension of wanting to be witnessed i often phrase it as trauma happens in relationships loss happens in relationships and healing does too so there's so much power in being witnessed, whether it's a therapist or a coach, um, a gym trainer, you know, that there's just not being alone, having a, having a guide. Um, so there, were, there was something there I, I kind of wanted to emphasize about making sure, I also think of it as like going to a well with water in it. Sometimes people maybe post online or they call that relative or that friend who does not have the capacity to witness them. So there's the both ands, both like shout your truth to the world if that's what you choose to do and freaking delete it off Facebook if you feel like tomorrow you don't want it out there, you know, yeah. like just feeling like no shame, do what you got to do. It's okay. Our moods change day by day. Um, and also being, being like, like honor your, your truth and what's sacred to you and don't, don't share it with anyone because they don't necessarily deserve it and you want to protect yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be choosy
2: about who, you know, your time is the one resource you can't get back, right? It's precious. So who are you going to spend it with and how are you going to spend those moments with them? And I've gotten real choosy about who I'm willing to spend my time with and what I'm willing to spend. Yes. Say yes to, because if I could do it over, I would definitely wish I had more quality time with Leah before she got sick, but i didn't have that life altering experience yet to teach me what was important. And I wish I had prioritized her higher, to be honest. And I've been really honest about that. You know, I changed my life the second she was diagnosed um, for the better. And I can't go back and I'm not living in the past, but my message is, you, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. So who are you spending your time with? What are you saying yes to? And, how do you wanna change that? So you're living a life that serves you, a life of purpose. And your purpose is different than mine, right? You can't say, oh, she has such purpose. Well, everyone has purpose, they just have to find it for themselves. And then they have to follow that. Um, Cause that, life's short and fleeting and we know it's gonna change. And you know, I just see so many people with their heads down, buried in their phones and their computers and working a job they hate all these hours and they're missing out on life they're missing out on the people that care about them and the experiences that matter and now I regularly say no to work and yes to my friends and no to work and yes to my kids and no to this thing that somebody wants me to do because I don't really want to do it and yes to doing nothing like doing nothing is okay too so if you don't choose how you're going to spend your time in your life somebody else is going to
0: Oh, that's so, so key. Um, there was so, so much in there, but uh, what was I just going to say? I don't know, but I was, I'll come back to it. But you mentioned like social media and comparing ourselves and so much of what you're saying, it boils down to being present. And our, our brains are literally wired for negativity. And it's so easy to fall into the comparison trap. So I think the idea of I think in my coaching program, Beyond Surviving, we talk about the highlights reel, and it's sort of similar to like a gratitude practice, but really paying attention to what is going well in your life. And like you said, time is an invaluable resource. Um, I spoke to someone else this week who lost their daughter at, at age 30, and he said the same thing that you just said, like that he wants other parents to know that he he wishes he could, you know, do things differently and that he didn't, he didn't, you can't know what you know now. So I think that that's a, a tough thing when it comes to families and and situations where people have those loved ones who are alive and they want them to wake up to that same wisdom that you have. I'm sure that that has come up for you where you've had this like awakening and like not everyone in your life has. Yeah. And then it's like, um, so I was curious, like, what, what has been, like, not helpful that people in your life have kind of taught, taught you and any wisdom you can kind of share with listeners who want to show up for people experiencing grief or themselves that would be helpful to share? I
2: think the, um, the biggest thing that, you know, I'm glad you sent that question because it gave me time to think about this. But the, I think the most painful thing for me going through this was when people said that they knew exactly how I was feeling, what I was going through, because they had lost someone in their life, a friend, a parent. uh, They had a miscarriage. They wanted to compare stories. Um, And to me, that's selfish, right? That is you not being able to witness my pain, you needing to share your pain. Um, And I think... The thing to like mention before, like if I could rewind, is that most people have good intentions, right? Their hearts are pure. They are not out to hurt me. They are not out to make me feel bad. And so that's what I would always go back to when something would really strike me and cut me. Um, because you're in a, such a fragile state, you know, you're already volatile. Like one thing and you're just going to explode. And So really focusing on that, like saying nothing if it wasn't kind or saying that is not helpful right now, or just walking away if I knew I might say something unkind, or I might start crying, or I might just blow up, walking away, like removing myself from the situation. Um, But people have good intentions, right? These people were all well-intended. But I, I really, really, really... It hurts when people think they know what you're going through Um, because even somebody that's lost a child to DIPG, I still don't know how they're feeling. I still don't know how they're doing. I still don't know what they're going through because every family's different. Every person's different. So to assume that you know what somebody's going through is just, it's ignorant. And I, it takes away from your ability to witness somebody in their pain, right? You want to take it on. You want to share, you want to have this common thread, but we don't need that. That's not helpful um just being with somebody in their darkness without trying to fix it or change it is powerful Um, Brene brown has this quote i love she says show up for people in pain and don't look away and i think that is what's helpful consistently showing up for people in pain and not looking away because i've i've definitely had that experience because like you said it's uncomfortable people don't know what to do or say and they think they're going to say the wrong thing but you don't have to say anything and you actually don't have to do much but show up. Um, And then my close friends were, you know, they really showed up and they delivered packages and food and alcohol and toys for my kids and cars and they would support the community events. And um, I think that's all helpful, but just their presence was the most helpful without trying to fix it or change it or um minimalize it or make it okay they showed up and they didn't look away
0: yes less less is more and i think i have learned to get get clear when i notice people in the fix it fix it mode um to maybe slow down and and say i actually just need you to listen right now or or checking in it's kind of like part of this consent culture we're talking about consent a lot these days, but are you open to like emotional labor consent? Like, are you do you have the capacity right now to listen to a story? I had a hard day at work. You know, checking in with someone so that they can show up the way you need them to. Kind of going going back to making sure you're you're selecting the right resources, the right people who, like you said, who deserve to be in your space, who deserve your time.
2: And you said something a while ago that was. Um you said that women, we want to please and say yes, right? And oftentimes that comes at our own expense. We say yes, and we don't share how we're really feeling because we don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. But there's so much power in truth, in speaking your truth, in showing up authentically, and also teaching other people how to treat you in a way that feels good to you. I'm, like, I'm never rude or mean about it, but there's certainly these hard boundaries and things I'm willing and not willing to talk about at certain times. And when you, when you do that in your own life, you give other people permission to do that. And so what, that's one of the things we work on at the gym all the time is setting boundaries. Like, what are you willing and unwilling to do? What are you willing and unwilling to allow in your life? Um, There's just so much it's it's like you take your life back you take control of the reins because just like that time thing if you're yesing everything you have no space in your life for what's important to you and meaningful to you which again could be doing nothing um and so i think that that is such a great thing that you're working with people on and it's such a a, an important thing for people kids to learn at an early age especially girls um that they don't have to say yes to everything and they don't always have to be okay and you don't always have to be willing to engage in a conversation that doesn't, that doesn't support you.
0: Absolutely, yeah, thank, thank you for highlighting that. It's, what's that quote? Be, be strong, know strong women, raise strong, strong women. And I think through our own example, like through what you, how you show up in your business and your life, like your friends and family and clients, um, they're all learning just from that example. It doesn't even need to be taught in a curriculum in school. like if our teachers and our doctors and everyone could show up practicing these boundaries, I think we would be in a in a different world. and I, I'm appreciative of of your your doing that and curious if your like passion for nutrition or fitness is something that you feel like I mean you, you use this quote, um come as you are, leave leave a little better. Did I get it right? Yeah. that actually has come to mind as it relates to to this podcast because there have been so many months where I've been like, hell no. (laughs) Like, and I can't do this. What the hell? Like imposter syndrome, but I always feel better after I do it. It's kind of wild. So your medicine, part of your medicine, in addition to writing, and I I know you've been fundraising, which is so powerful. um, Doing that, doing those events in the community, bringing people together, for your passion um, is is nutrition and fitness, so what might you offer to, to listeners who aren't in that world the impact that the the benefits have on on your healing?
2: Well, I think it's different for everybody. You know, everyone has their own way of healing, and their writing was one of the things that I did to feel better. Um, I, I say ice cold showers was one of the things in the beginning that really helped me. And yeah, pushing my body physically in the gym, but that was that's something that I love. So I, um, I, I don't like to push it on everybody. I mean, there's the benefits of exercise or I could go on for hours about that. Let's not get into that. But there's definitely a science of how exercise does improve your mood and your endorphins and your, you know, the happy chemicals in your brain and all that. But all that aside, what it did for me was it, um, it allowed me to forget about what was going on in my life for one hour because I was so working so hard that I couldn't think about anything but just getting through the hour. Or it was also a reminder of my strength and my capability and my power because there's days when you just feel like you don't have any of that. And it was just a small reminder of even on your weakest days, you can show up. Even on your worst days, you can show up. What else can you do? Um so I haven't I actually haven't said no to like any podcasts or any interviews. And they're like, if it's not a good day, I'm like, then it's not a good day and I'm gonna share that. So there's this beauty in just saying, here's how I am today and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna love myself regardless because for a while I struggled with like, I don't like this girl anymore. Who is she? Like, I didn't, I didn't recognize myself. The woman I was after Leah died was so different than before she got sick. She has different priorities. She has a different lens on life. And I, you know, I have to just go back to saying like, You don't have to like where you are, but you can still love this person that you are because she went through the fire, you know, has walked through fire and come out the other side, a different person. And so, you know, you can show up however you are and you still need to love yourself and be kind to yourself and just giving myself permission, that permission to be wherever I am. Um, was also powerful when I was going to the gym to say, yeah, you you sucked today, (laughs) but you know what? You still showed up and, um, you can still be proud for showing up and it was better than nothing. And in the end, you always feel, I always felt better when I left, but, um, just really giving myself permission to just show up on any day in any way. And a lot of people will only go to the gym on the days they feel good, right? Well, that's such a small percentage of the time. Yeah. So, Go all the time, show up in any way. That's why we say come as you are. As you are means worst day, best day, all the days in between, you're showing up. And it's an analogy for life, right? Um, We use the gym to help people live powerfully in their lives and life happens every day. You have to show up to life every day. So if you're only showing up on your good days, then you're not doing a whole lot. You can still be powerful and impactful even on your bad days.
0: Yeah, a lot of times, or several times, you've kind of voiced this kind of take things one day at a time and have things change moment to moment. And I just hear so much self-compassion and like what some people call self-talk, affirmations, whatever. And I'm just kind of really, really moved because that is so hard to internalize. And it takes practice, just like lifting lifting weights so i mean our brains can can change and that's the good the good news um but it take it takes work and uh, again with i think we learn best just by osmosis just by being around people who lift us up and that's where like making sure you kind of end those relationships that are not lifting you up people who are making you feel small workplaces i know there are tons of factors that that make us silent and, and feel small but i i love the message of just surrounding yourself with with resources and and you've also talked about practices that little micro changes that you've made in your life and how that's come out of of your healing process um which i wanted to make make space for if you have any kind of small changes that you've made in terms of making time for for reading or cooking or things to do just on your own because while relationships are healing so is our relationship with ourself, which we often don't make time for when we're scrolling through social media in the bathroom or like online for, for whatever, like we don't make time for ourselves. The relationship you have with yourself is the most
2: important relationship because it's the foundation for every relationship you'll have thereafter. Like if you don't love yourself, how is anybody else going to show you love if you don't show yourself love? So for me, I, you know, People, I thought it was selfish for years as a mother to put myself first, but now I know it is the only way I can um, love my girls the best is if I'm the best. And the only way I'm the best version of myself is if I'm putting myself first, if I'm taking time to exercise, if I'm taking time to sit down and eat nutritious foods, if I'm taking time to do things that I really enjoy, like read. So for years, I told myself this story. That I'm a busy mom with three kids. I own a business. I have ten employees. I'm too busy to read, and I didn't read a book for for eight years. And then one day, I said, you know, it was in the last two years. It was recently. I really love reading. Why aren't I reading? I'm gonna read ten minutes a day. I'm gonna get up early, and I'm not gonna work. I'm gonna read, and ten minutes sometimes would turn into thirty. And I have read like twelve books in under a year. Um, cause it started last June and it's, it sort of changed, changes my, the whole flow of my day. If I take that even 10 minutes, sometimes 30 to read and not to go on my phone and not to answer emails, but to make coffee and read, it's this sort of this appointment I keep with myself. And there are a bunch of other things that I also do, which is sometimes I keep my babysitter so I can take a shower. Sometimes I sit on my bed and watch a show while my kids are with my sitter. Um, and you know, I think there's this, there's this guilt in that a lot of, especially women have guilt in this, but it's been so transformative in my own life of taking this space for myself that I can now, when I'm, when I need to perform, when I need to do the things I need to do, I just have more to pull from, right? Like I can't create a bigger cup. I just have to make sure it's full so I can then give to the people I need to, but also like give to myself and go through this life in a way that is serving me well. And the haggard, exhausted mom who had no time for herself was not serving me well. And I'm the only one that can change that. Nobody's going to change that for me. No one's going to make those changes for me. I have to do it myself. So, you know, newsflash: if you're telling yourself this sad story and making these excuses, it's your fault. But the good news is that because it's your fault, you can also change it. You can also make the changes that will serve you and help you to become more of the, the person that you want to be and live life, ha- like feeling good, feeling better about yourself. And whether that's through exercise or time with your friends or an hour of reading, like you deserve
0: to feel good. Absolutely. It's, it all kind of comes back to attention and intention and, uh, <laughs> I'm losing my attention as I'm, I'm listening to you, but just your, what your values are and, and spending your time really living them. Um, it's so funny that you said intention and
2: intention because that I wrote those two words down as like things that I've learned was living with intention and living, paying attention.
0: Yeah, I think I remember you wrote once about literally putting yourself in your calendar and I'm just thinking, why is it so hard to give to ourselves and so easy and it feels, quote unquote, natural to give to others? Like, especially again with, with women, we're just smarter as we, so many of us go into helping professions or we're, I'm working now with people taking care of their elderly parents and it's often the daughters and just like, I, I really love that piece about, putting your self-care routines because some of us just don't think about it. Something simple like go have a cup of water, hydrate, go to the bathroom. I've heard people say that they don't realize that they have to go to the bathroom because we're so disconnected from our bodies. So I think it's so critical to develop those routines where you're putting yourself first and realizing the power of those small changes, 10 minutes of reading, one episode of a show that makes you laugh, like that changes your entire state of mind. And allows our capacity to grow like I notice, because I, I do like think and read and listen to heavy stuff because of my interests and my passions but when I laugh I can feel the changes and when I spend time with friends or or little kids or, or certain things that bring me joy like my cup grows or it, it refills in ways that if I don't do that I'm just gonna like be horizontal, like completely drained. So I appreciate your your reminding all of us to fill our cups. Um, (laughs) And I guess with with that, what does the phrase transforming trauma mean to you? I guess I wanna close reminding folks that that we all know what PTSD is. We hear that a lot, but we don't often hear about post-traumatic growth, which is not something I'm making up. Please Google it, anyone who's listening, and it, it's not to to label any some people find tremendous value in diagnoses and and you know getting the the, the care that they need and um, a lot of people like to use those terms, so I'm not dismissing that, but I just want to put it out there that that we grow through loss and, and trauma and there's research behind what it what it actually does for people who are able to transform their pain into power and and make meaning of of their their loss and and for me personally and and professionally i i love thinking about that concept of post-traumatic growth even though it still sounds like really clinical just knowing that there's a whole body of research being like screw pathology and and making us feel like we have we're broken like we're not broken and oh this is what i wanted to remember before i love the message of recovery is ongoing and sure more than anything you wish you could go back in time and Anyone who has been through something traumatic wishes that they didn't have you know, the lessons that they've learned. But the most important thing that I like to stress to people, or I guess I've said several things, but something I really think is so important is that it doesn't end like you said at the beginning. But, and that doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. It's all about how we relate to it. I, I like to think about it in the present tense, like I am growing, I am healing, I am learning. And then that's to me that's where my compassion comes in the second i'm in the the point of just i mean it's okay to feel feel pain and i am in pain but just to remember that that this is this is who i am now like being present like you said is all we can do and when we're not being present i think that's when we get into into trouble or 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 not like like you like i think you've acknowledged escaping from our pain you know, through different ways that we cope is also part of the process. And not judging that. Giving yourself permission that that's helping you to survive. I think a lot of survivors I work with feel shame about how they've survived. And I, I love that you kind of own, own the messy part. And like you said, give people permission to, to embrace it. It's, it's, all, it's all part of the human experience. And that is why you have the following that you have. That is why you've changed people's lives forever, because you've said, it's okay that I'm human and, and that you're going to take one day at a time. And yeah, so I just kind of answered the question for myself, but <laughs> <laughs> but for you, what does transforming trauma mean? I swear I've never talked this much in, it, in an interview, but I'm just so, so grateful, Krista, that you are open to having these conversations and that. I thought we would probably talk about fitness and nutrition if I ever got to talk to you. And instead, um, I get to hear, hear what your experience has been. And, and it really means the world. I know that it's going to reach a lot of people listening.
2: Well, oh, good. Well, thank you. Well, you're a great interview. <laughs> so that makes it easy. Um, but, I, you know, I think after Leah, well, when Leah was sick, I was really worried that, uh, I ju- you know, I, I was talking to Mike one night. I was like, I'm worried it's gonna, I'm going to turn bad. Like, this experience is going to turn me, and I am going to spiral down and not be able to come back. Um, But we have a choice, right? What I've learned is that we have a choice. There's some things that we do not have choices over. Leah's death, I did not have a choice. Like, she was going to die, and I couldn't control that, which is so scary as a parent to have this thing that you know is going to happen, and you have nothing, you have no say. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop it. But then there were all these choices after her death of how I live my life every day after and how I choose to show up and the, how I choose to spend my time. And one of the things that I, I decided um, was that her life and her lessons were, were not going to be wasted. Like I would not, I wanted to make her proud, right? She did not die in vain. She taught me a lot of things. She was a special human, um, wise beyond her years with a childlike spirit, but I would not let her life be wasted. And turning, you know, transforming trauma to me was turning my pain into power and purpose. Um, and using the pain I was feeling to connect to more people, to see them in their darkness, to witness them in their darkness and say, I see you and you can still show up you can still be courageous and still be brave you don't have to be strong you don't have to uh, be amazing you just have to show up and give yourself permission to be however you need to be and a lot of this happened through my own conversations like there's this dialogue that happens in my head on a daily basis and uh, it takes a lot of years to shift those conversations, as you mentioned, longer than any body transformation. My mind transformation took far longer. Um, It's a daily battle that, you know, honestly still happens, but it gets easier every year. Um, But yeah, I did not want her light and her lessons to be lost with her death. And I'm the one that's going to carry them out. And I'm the one that's going to share these lessons and Uh, hopefully impact people to live their lives differently and to make shifts in their life that help them live with more meaning and purpose, uh, where they are living in a way that serves them well. Um, So yeah, that to me, that is transforming trauma is just turning this pain and rather than just sitting and wallowing in the mess, um, still showing up. Because there's days when the mess is is so like, all you can do is surrender, right? Like you're in the mess and you just surrender to the mess. You don't try to fight your way out. You don't need to be cleaned off. You just need to sit in the mess, have people come sit in the mess with you and endure it. Um, but you can still, what I've learned is you can still make a difference from that, that place. I didn't have to heal. I didn't have to, I just did air quotes. I, I didn't have to, um, get over my daughter's death in order to make a difference. Uh, And that's what I was worried about. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to make a difference with my clients or anybody else because I was this broken woman. But yeah, yeah, I went through this awful painful experience that I don't wish on anybody, but here I am on the other side of it saying, life's hard. You're going to have pain. You can still show up and live powerfully in your life, whatever that looks like for you. This is what it looks like for me. Um, doing things like this, showing up at the gym to help other women live powerfully in their lives and, and help them make shifts. Um, showing my daughters what it means to live powerfully. That is what that is what um, that means to me.
0: Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. So I'll have to invite you back on the show at <laughs> some point to hear more about sort of how you're defining the the mental messages that you've worked so hard to to transform and like you said, it's a it's a practice, but it's something that I appreciate your acknowledging that it's it's ongoing, like the battle part. I think it's so easy even to come like with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to think, oh this this spiritual teacher or Brene Brown, this celebrity social worker, right? Like they've got it figured out. But but no, that's actually not the human experience like there's no one who's a, a master and no does not face any any battles like in life or in our in our minds so just to acknowledge that that it's it's something that you can learn so not to be defeating that oh you'll never get better but rather that it's something that you work at and you invest in and you, and you feel the joy of realizing that you've grown that you're not i think sometimes people stumble upon the same blocks that they they feel like, Oh, I was, I've been here before. I haven't changed. I haven't grown, but I always say that there's like distance between the spirals and you're not, you're not where you were. Sometimes these beliefs about ourselves are stickier than others, but I'm sure you're not the person you were yesterday. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's such wise. That's such wise information. Yeah. I definitely love to come back and talk about that. That's a, (laughs) those are powerful conversations as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess just to close, will you share just real quickly about the the photo project you did where people kind of put words on themselves and where that originated? I'm, I'm curious and think it might inspire other people.
2: Yeah, so I had this um, idea just to have women photographed. I think so many fitness photographs, are, the women are photographed, they're spray tanned, their hair is done, they're in like certain clothes. And I just wondered what it would look like if women showed up however they wanted to show up and, you know, wore whatever they wanted to, that made them feel good, whether that's no clothing or a lot of clothing, whether that's makeup or no makeup and stood in ways that made them feel powerful. And so I reached out to my friend Rachel and she said, how do you feel about writing words on your body? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm game. I'll try anything. So she, we brought we, she started writing the words on my body and we would talk, have a conversation about them. Like, what do you think about this word? Yes. What do you think about this word? Yes. How, what other words define you? Or do you, um, do you feel uh, connected to? And so we just kept going and she, you know, she was using arms, legs, chest, all of it. And, I, and I've done some really cool things in my life and I didn't think this was going to affect me. And I was sobbing like as she wrote, brave and vulnerable and loved. It's, it's powerful when you put it on your body and you write loved across your stretch marks and you write f perfection on your cellulite and you just say like here I am and I'm not being airbrushed and I'm not sitting in a way that makes me look the most thin and you're going to see the roll hang over my shorts there's something really powerful about that especially for me who lived with body dysmorphia and I had anorexia for years and I hated myself and I was constantly consumed with trying to change my physical appearance there was just something really beautiful and powerful at 39 years old that I can stand in black clothes that made me feel powerful in a way that made me feel powerful and be captured in that way. And so we rolled it out to, um, to the community and 10 women did it. And it was this amazing experience where they screamed and they rubbed ash on their body and they, it was just awesome. And I got to speak with them and, um, you know, a lot of them have gone through trauma and healing and, uh, pain and they just use this as a way to sort of like, almost like a rebirth, I sort of view it as like part of the rebirth. Um, and I would definitely shout out to my friend, Rachel Lou Photography, who like does an amazing job. And I would lo- it's a, such a great experience for all women to participate in, even if you're scared, really scared and, and have all this fear around it. It's just such a powerful experience.
0: Thank you for sharing and cliffhanger for part two, because <laughs> um yeah there's so much there to explore and the power of of photos and kind of reclaiming our our bodies and um being being part of a, a project like that where you didn't even know you just kind of said yes to it and and look at what it did it opened up relationships and storytelling and just like i could see the power in your in your face as you told the story and i could i could imagine what that was like um oh i was gonna say that people like when I hear mothers or women like criticizing their bodies, it's just like so hard when you know that the that the little kids around them are are learning from them. And I'm sure that you, you I've seen you know you give monologues on your posts about that. So people check out Krista's page if you ever want to get fired up about the messages that that we're sending all kids, you know, boys and people of all, all genders. So important. And I'm going to let Krista go, (laughs) Um, but thank you so much. If if you have anything else to plug, I know that Rachel's work, you can read more at lessonsfromleah.com, toughgirlfitnessconnecticutct.com. I'll put it in the show notes and you can contact Krista, Krista at toughgirlfitnessct.com. Thank you so much for, for being a guest. This has been such a, a gift to me today. And thanks for tuning in, tuning in. Don't forget, you can visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore resources on the site. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have much more to share. Thanks all.